You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This wild energy, JC Harding. Do you always, are you always in a great mood? Well, I had to get, stay up all night to get up this early. Everybody, she's got a smile brighter than the sunshine. <laughs> it's always party time. You're on the podcast with Caroline and I'm JT Harding. I couldn't think of a rhyming word for hobbies. So you're like Adele, you're like Madonna. You go with just one name, Caroline. Good That's name. right. Oh, uh, thank you. Great company to be in, Adele and Madonna. I'll yes. take it. Okay, so you got on a leopard skin jacket. You have a number one best-selling book called Party Like a Rockstar. You have had over a billion streams of country music. You've written hits like Sangria for Blake Shelton, one of my favorites. Ooh. Written hits for Dirk Bentley, Different Girls, uh, Kenny, no, yeah, Kenny Chesney. Uh-huh. Yeah, you got so many. You got Keith Urban, Somewhere With You, and Bar at the End of the World for Kenny Chesney. Um, I wrote that for Florida Georgia Line before they were married, Different Girls. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> By the way, do not adjust your computers. I, I, I am really dressed like this. No animals were, were hurt in the making of this suit, but uh, a dog did kind of uh, hump my leg at the Bluebird last week, but I think they're okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, <laughs> and you wrote Alone With You for Blake, uh, for Jake Owen, which is one of my oh, faves. Thank you. Well, you like the, you like the sexy, sad, slow. Mm-hmm. I always have. I've always been a hopeless romantic, like hopeless, literally. So, oh, Michael wants to say hi. Michael just came in. Wait, where are you? Oh, a thousand horses. Hello there. He says hello. Thank you. Like smoke rolling off my tongue. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another great song. JT's outfit. He's always got a good outfit on. Yeah, I got the pants to match. I got the pants to match. I love it. It's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, good to see you. All right, y'all have a good one. Yeah. 
I, need, I, I have a band called A Thousand Suits. Well, you know, Caroline, I like my money where I can see it hanging in my closet. But thank you for bringing up um, all the songs. You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book, and you probably know this, I didn't know anyone in the music business. I just loved watching MTV, listening to the radio. And, you know, I've had a lot of false starts, you know, thanks to the music business. My heart's been broken more than the ice cream machine at the McDonald's. Up the Man, street. the music well, business will break your heart, won't it? Definitely. And people always say, well, how did you do this? And how did you write songs? And how did you get them to Blake Shelton? So I put it all in the book and it's uh, super fun, it's super fun. You will laugh, you will cry, you will cry until you laugh. So your story is epic. Like literally, I'm reading your bio, going through all your stuff. And I've known you because we wrote together. Like years ago yes. when i was in a band I, in my band days you know back in the day when i was doing stealing angels i was attempting to be a part of runaway june and that was a failed attempt i loved them so much they finally got their their combination right now um but we wrote a song called boy got in the way with connie harrington wow you're so smart i mean you have such a great memory i don't i love that title i remember the right <laughs> it was I'm sure it was a great song <laughs> Yes. It was then, about me. I had a crush on you. It was about your husband, boy. Uh, <laughs> and I was reading our email thread and also always look at like me and Jen Wayne, who's one of my best friends, and she's in Runaway June, John Wayne's granddaughter. We did Amazing Race together. But we sent you like a link to the five love languages. I'm sure we got in some therapy session because we're <laughs> always talking about like healing the heart. Yeah. Yes. The five that's, you have such a great memory. The Not five, really. Like, I found it on email. That's that. Well, I can't believe you even know where those emails are. That's a great song title. The five. Yeah. That should be my next book. Love how to party like a, the five love, the five languages of partying like a rock star. I don't know. I need to think about it more. <laughs> Do you just speak and rhyme all the time? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I wanted to give you a gigantic fun you know, introduction. And I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the energy. You've just taken it up to an 11, which I love. Um, okay. So let's talk about some of these stories that you have, because you have story after story after story after story, which probably makes you such a great songwriter. You started off living in Detroit, South Detroit, Yes. and you were adopted. Did you know that you were adopted uh, in the beginning? That's a great uh, question, Caroline. Yes, my birth certificate, I have it framed next to my Blake Shelton platinum record, is an apology from a condom company. So I always knew that uh, I was adopted. <laughs> if you can see her smirking, people. No, my listen, I was adopted at birth, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And my parents always kind of told me, but I never have felt that I needed another family or wanted another family. The Hardings who adopted me, my family, they are just the greatest things ever. So I just feel like literally like the hand of God took me and gave me to the Hardings. And so that was, so I've never looked back and they were really into sports and my, you know, my dad worked for ESPN, but I was, you know, hairspraying my hair and wearing crazy clothes, but they always just encouraged me to be myself and were driving me to bars to perform in before I was even, you know, way before I was 21, I was like 15. And wow. so it was really fan. So I grew up in Michigan. It was fantastic. And then I went to see, you know, I would sneak into the movie Purple Rain and I would study it like the Goonies were you know, looking at a treasure map. And I just kept looking on the back of all my CDs and they all said Sunset Boulevard. And I said, I've got to get to California. So before my friend's graduation caps were even bouncing on the green grass, I was already living on the most unglamorous corner of uh, Hollywood. And I went out there to follow my dream. And I don't so you mind. went straight, you went straight out there. 
straight out there. Didn't yeah. know what you were doing. Didn't know anybody. You just said, I got, you knew you had to get involved with music because you said like you, the first break you got was winning a VH1 game show, Rock and Roll Jeopardy. How do you even enter that and win? That's yes. huge. Yes, you've read the book. So I, I didn't have, I always had a job, but I didn't have any money to make a demo. But in Los Angeles, there's TV shows, game shows. We need extras all over the place. And there was a flyer that said VH1 Rock and Roll Jeopardy. And I went on it and Caroline, I annihilated the competition, you know? You when did? My, when my friends were studying for the SAT, I was studying MTV. I like to say, oh, I destroyed them. So I won $2,000. I made a demo. But this was before the internet. This was in the 90s. I moved out there when I was 17. And so you couldn't just call up a record company. You couldn't, the only way to find out who worked there was to look in a CD, but where did they work? And you couldn't just walk into these places. But I knew a girl whose roommate worked at FedEx. So this I is a crazy story. <laughs> so I borrowed her FedEx jacket and like Obi-Wan Kenobi sauntering into the Death Star, I passed every security guard, every promo guy chewing on a golf tee. Stop I was, it! Oh, I went into every record company and put my CD in every mailbox. And for you youngsters listening, if you think that didn't get me noticed, guess again, the cops were after me for weeks, but I had to do, you know what I had to do. I didn't have Instagram in junior high. So to show off my clothes, I had to walk to the pencil sharpener three times a class, you know? So you well, took your $2,000 that you won from winning the VH1 Jeopardy. You made a demo. Did you make a demo with your original songs? Yes, I was always writing songs. I don't know where it came from, Caroline. I've always had an instinct ever since I was young. If I would tell my bandmates, I was in a band called Dirty Tricks. If we're going to make it, we've got to write our own song starting in seventh, eighth grade. And of course, I didn't have the life experience. I mean, I can barely play guitar right now, but I always knew we had to write our own songs. I didn't have the life experience to make great lyrics is what I meant. But I just kept writing and writing and writing. And I've always felt that if a five-year-old can't sing along to your song, it won't be a hit. I believe that to this day. I've always thought, yeah. regardless of what the lyrics are. And, you know, you can imagine all these years later how flattered I am. Total strangers come up to me all the time at the Bluebird, wherever I'm playing, and say, oh, can we show you our little kids singing your Blake Shelton song? And they hold up their phones, and the little kids are dancing around in their tutus. And apparently, it's a perfect song for children. It's about drinking too much, you know, sangria. <laughs> So yeah. uh, I'm very flattered and I, I really believe it. If you're a songwriter, make sure some kids can dance around to it. I totally agree with you. Okay, so you make this demo, you get $2,000, you're living in Detroit, you don't have any connections to the music yeah, industry. So, so the VH1 Rock and Roll Jeopardy was in LA. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're rocking, what did I say? Yeah, in Detroit they had burning trash can Jeopardy, yeah. Okay, you maybe could have won that too. It sounds like you almost have a photographic memory when it comes to like fascinating facts about things. Yeah. So, okay, you are growing up in Detroit. You don't have connections. You realize you've got to get to LA. That's where everything is happening. There's no Instagram. There's no way to get in contact with these people. People are not taking your meetings because you are a nobody at this point. Why would they? I mean, LA's bustling full of tons of people. So they're not going to just take a new guy saying, here's my demo. And that's the same with anything. You've got to create a reason that people want to hear you and listen to you, or you gotta get in front of people. So you dress up in FedEx, a FedEx yeah. costume. Are you scared to death when you're walking past these people that you're gonna get thrown no, in jail? No, no, no. Are you fearless? I just waved. And another thing I remember about that that is not in the book, I remember uh, I worked at Tower Records and every celebrity would come in. This is all true. Michael Jackson. 
Kurt Cobain. Oh my gosh. And I gave them all my demo and Sylvester Stallone came in one day and Sylvester Stallone wanted another one bites the dust by queen to be the song for Rocky, but queen did not let him use it. So he said, we need to find, find a song. And that's how he found eye of the tiger. So I knew that story. So I saw uh, Sylvester Stallone, but I didn't have a demo tape on me. And I remember going into the Sylvester Stallone, like his agent's office in that FedEx jacket. I mean, I remember it better than I remember yesterday. I remember being a little bit nervous about that. They were like, may I help you? I'm like, package for Mr. Stallone. <laughs> so yeah, it was just a little CD. But you know, I love music so much. And that's another thing that kept me going, reading other people's stories, how songs didn't make it here but were discovered over there right like you can't give up because just because one set of ears says no doesn't mean that it's not a hit did you get any feedback and any traction from putting these cds into people's hands like by being illegal and breaking into offices yes yes mail fraud my next book <laughs> I, I was so naive that working at a record store and passing out my demo to everyone i was so naive that that could happen that something did and i landed a record deal because of it oh yeah i got a record deal at tower by Stop. cds yes and uh, i was signed to, you're gonna love this i was signed to emi records and at the time, you know, they're the, they're the label that brought the Beatles to America with Capital. They had Sinead O'Connor, David Gray, Five for Fighting. So I signed a record deal, got to quit my Tower Records store. I okay, so you were working at Tower Records. And then at record, the same... Yeah, for, those, for those of you who don't know, that's a gigantic record store, not a record label. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so you're working for the record store, Tower Records. Yes. But you got signed at the record label, label Tower Records. Are they related in no, any no, way? No. So, so I'm working at Tower Records, working the cash register, just putting my demo in everybody's bag. So you were like in the vortex of music. You are just surrounded by it. You are just eating, yeah. breathing it. You are putting it out everywhere. You are obsessed with it. Like your energy is just oozing music, music, music. I have this music, music, music. Here I am. Here I yes. am. Like yeah. that is you 24-7. Pretty much, yeah. So okay. Uh, record executives would always come into the record store because you know they were you weren't downloading things they were buying CDs they were look so I would meet record executives there and I got a record deal. Were I, you like personable with them? Would you talk to them? How would you approach yeah, I, these people? Well, uh, I remember it so clear. A guy came in and he had signed Tracy Chapman and his name was on the back of the record. I said he bought some CDs. He put his uh, credit card up and his name is Brian Koppelman. He has a huge podcast now. He wrote the he actually wrote the television show. I forget what it's called um um oh you'll figure it out but anyway uh mm -hmm. he's a big writer now he his credit card kind of landed in front of me i said brian Koppelman, are you the guy that signed tracy chapman so and you like literally studied everything you knew all the names all the players everybody like the people that you don't have pictures of because they're not celebrities they're the behind the scenes exactly. people you know so you were doing your homework you knew everybody so when Absolutely. a player came in you're like fishing when a player came into your pond you were ready to catch them Exactly, exactly. Okay, I'll be prepared. Me, please don't take me fishing in the south because I'm the guy that can't bait a hook. I should have written that. So um, I got a record deal. He loved my music. I went to New York. Wait, what did you say when he walked in? I said, he, I said, are you Brian Koppelman? You signed Tracy Chapman. I knew some other bands. He was like, I did. Oh, wow. And he said, you must really love your job. And I said, oh, yeah, it's part of my get rich slow scheme. Working <laughs> the village. So I gave him my demo and he said, thanks. Didn't think anything of it. But he called me and he said, these songs are great. Do you have any more? I had another three songs ready to go. And yeah, so I got the deal. I because of that, you got the record deal? 
Yes. That yes. moment. Okay, we need to take a moment because like yes. your story's so big. It's so easy to move on to another part of your story. But like I wanted to say this and like focus on this for a second for people okay. listening. This is like people are and you talk about this in your book. Like people are always saying, "Oh, it must have been easy for you or is it easy to get what it's not." Like you are constantly putting yourself out there. You're like doing your homework. You know the players. Like if you would have just been sitting in the record store at the at the cash register and being nervous, which so many of us are because to put yourself out there with a big wig and say like, "Here I am, this guy who has nothing going for me, but I promise you I'm great." You know, listen to me. That is like intimidating. That takes balls. That takes like so much like, "Oh my god, here I am" energy that you were willing to say, listen to me, I know you, like you did your homework, like that is huge. You were prepared and you say that, you talk about that quote, luck is when hard work meets preparation. Or oh, something. Yes. And so it's like, this is the secret to success is being obsessed with what you're doing and knowing everything about it and putting yourself constantly in situations and going, putting yourself in situations that are uncomfortable and that are out of the box. Like you were dressing up as a FedEx person, dropping your CD off, like never giving up, trying when one door closes, go through a window, go through a trap door, just don't stop. If this is what you want, you never stop. And you are like a shining example of it paid off. Like you were trying a million different ways to get to somebody and one of them worked, you know, but you can't just try one thing and then be like, oh, I'm never going to make it. It's like, no, you got to keep trying a different way. And that is you, JT. Like, holy you're, shit. You're very sweet. Well, to anyone listening, you know, it's something I, I had to learn. I have nothing I would say to myself, but I learned this. I was nervous, of course. A lot of people I didn't talk to, but I just at some point realized I have nothing to lose. If somebody likes my music, the whole world will change my world. Yeah. If you don't like it, nothing will change. It'll just Amen. Customer. And rejection never gets easier. I mean, I still to this day get songs turned down all the time. And it doesn't, it never feels good, but you just kind of move on to the next because one one yes and a million no's fade to black. But here's the best part of this story. Okay. I'm EMI. obsessed with your story. <laughs> I get signed to EMI. I go to New York. I make a, a record with John Mellencamp's band in the biggest studio. Oh, stop. Filled with gold albums. I, they're talking about videos, a tour with Matchbox 20, giving me a gigantic check that was like overflowing my bank account. I never had to go back to the record store. But here's the best part of the story. The record company never called me again. They just, they invented ghosting. Yes, yes. And it's not- Wait, they, they gave you all this money, put you up with all these people uh, to make a, an incredible album and never called you again? What do you mean? It was like, over. That well, you're, 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 what, how you're feeling right now is how I still feel about Wait, it. Wait, so you made the whole project and yes. they gave you all the money and then they Everything. just didn't call you back to do anything with it? What, explain to me that because I actually know this story- very well. I've had three record deals. My husband's had like four. Like I understand this story too well, but like explain this, how a record, this, this is like absolutely insane. I, and people I almost can't explain it, but I'll, I'll try. But Either. people listening, like you don't understand, like record labels have so much money that like they could invest a million plus dollars in someone and then just throw it away and like not even care. Like what in the actual F? And if someone out there is just listening and shrug like shrugging, I mean, it felt like a wrecking ball hit me. And unfortunately, Miley Cyrus was not on it swinging <laughs> in my room. But I, it, felt like, it felt like every breakup I had times a million. They just stopped calling me. They, either they didn't, I never found out why. Either they didn't have the support at the label. And so they just stopped calling me. But you never even put a single out? They never even gave it a chance? No, no nothing. And what's funny is I have the cassette right here behind me. <laughs> this Wait, is what so 
So they never even put a single out. Like sometimes they'll put a single out and it doesn't get enough traction. So they'll just pull the whole plug. They didn't even try. Absolutely nothing. But here's what kept me going. Oh my God. I mean, this is insanity. I was really bummed out, but the guy who signed me signed David Gray, who had the song Babylon and five for fighting, who wrote Superman. Mm. Those first deals for them didn't work out. And then I started hearing them on the radio and you're going to love this Caroline. Then I got a few years later, I put a new band together. I got signed to Atlantic records. Same thing. Got a big check, did a whole record. Okay, wait, how'd you get signed again? Because like getting signed once is like a strike of lightning. Now getting signed again, how did you get signed again? There were always people kind of on the fringes saying, I, I remember you, I've seen your band, you're pretty good, you have songs. I just kept going and going. Because by this point, people kind of knew you because you had gotten in the system? Oh, yeah, a little bit. And then I made another record in New York, signed to Atlantic, same thing. They just didn't call me again. They gave me money. I know, you look so baffled. It's so, I mean, I'm so used to it happening. It doesn't even phase me anymore. So I was, by that time, I had two record deals. They had both completely collapsed. And you made full records and they never even put a single. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality 
podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. What do you do with those feelings of ghosts being ghosted in the biggest way possible? Because you've poured your heart into this. They've given you money. Y'all have signed contracts. I mean, it's, you are legally bound. What do you do when you have this huge energy of excitement and all this momentum and all these people involved and then it just stops like how do you channel that where does it go well well, luckily i would go home and 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 to my great parents and hang out in michigan and take a breather so i was just worn out from chasing my dream but at least they gave you a lot of money back then because now they don't even give you the money and and it, it, it took the sting off a little bit but what i did was i said i need a break from all this but i still want to be in the music business so i got a job working for the superstar band lincoln park as their band assistant and i did not talk about my music to them and they were gigantic they were selling out arenas all over the world multiple nights I- okay but once again how do you get in these positions how did you get linked up with lincoln park like you just like eat like all of a sudden you're just like in these high profile positions like how did you get that job well there were i actually so when my that's a great question when the record deals like were kind of falling through i was still taking little demos around a little bit and there was another really wild rock star he's in my book but i don't say his name because if you say his name three times he will appear in a cloud of smoke we don't want that you got to read the book for that and he said hey i'm not putting any records out right now he had a record label everyone had a record label then madonna bon jovi everyone did so i would just take my little CD everywhere. And so I worked for him for a little bit. And then Lincoln Park called me after that. So okay, because you got connected to them through him. Yeah, they said so- they heard about this fun, this assistant who's really good. And because I, I, I just enjoyed working for these bands because I was just kind of like right on the edge of stardom. I was kind of like basking in their, in their light. And it was, and you're getting like an up close and personal view of what it's actually like. So I want to pause again though, because like you're dropping all of this gold stuff that like, I, I, I know we're moving through so quickly, but like, once again, you pick yourself back up. You keep putting yourself back out there. Like you aren't discouraged. Yes, you go home and you cry for a little bit because you have to, because this is a freaking like heartbreak times two, like having these opportunities right there in your hands and then having them just completely vanish. So you've got to go grieve it. But then you're like, okay, this is still my dream. Back to it. You're back in it. You're finding ways again. You're still putting yourself out there. That like I just want people listening to know like how you make it in this industry is freaking brutal and you have to be relentless. Like then you talk about that. You can never stop. Like yes, let yourself heal. Have a moment when you get freaking screwed because it happens in this industry, but then you go back in. You go back in and you just like build this armor and here you are because of it. Because you're working, and another thing, connections, like that's something huge. Like you don't, people don't realize how big connections are. So you do a great job and always show up and work hard and work your ass off because you do a great job working for this guy that you don't say his name three times because he appears in a cloud of smoke. But like you're doing a great job working for this guy and because you're doing a great job, you get noticed by someone else in a completely different area and then they say, oh, come be my assistant on the road with Lincoln Park. And that's how it works. Like, it's just so freaking random, but it's not, you know? 
it, that's why it's all crazy. Like that's why people in the entertainment industry and maybe actually any industry like this, you're kind of like a Looney Tune because like you can't explain how anything happens. It's all bananas. Absolutely. And I, I did this because my, my armor is leopard print. <laughs> Caroline, you brought up something great because a lot of people ask me for advice and there's always someone that just says, oh, it's all who you know. And I'm like, it, it, like you, you're correct. It's connections, but it's who you get to know. No one is born knowing them like people in the music business. The Beatles didn't know anyone. Elton John didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. You have to go out there and get noticed. And also, I know I seem a little frantic and excited, but for those of you out there sending your music around, Remember to do it a little bit calmly. I wasn't like chasing people down the aisles. I was like, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah, I know you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, this and that. So I, I get a job working for Lincoln Park, and they were they were so nice. Six guys in the band. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. They were all married. Really? Or, yeah, they were all in great relationships it was, or married, selling out giant arenas. And a few months, they, would, they were so low maintenance that I would sit backstage and kind of work on music. But when they would come in, I would put their guitars down and do whatever they needed me to do, which was not much. But because they saw me, I never really talked about my music much, but they're smart guys. They knew where I'd come from. They asked me if I wanted to open up for them one night. Hold on. Okay. So we got to talk about Lincoln Park. Your story is so crazy. Like I can't, I I just can't, every second you say something, I'm like, I I need to talk deeper about this. So first off, Lincoln Park, do you think, people i mean i know you can be a total disaster and do terrible things and still be a superstar but like lincoln park you're saying they're great guys they were married men they didn't drink they like were awesome humans do you think that that let them become a a bigger star do you think them having such great work ethic and morals like played into them being superstars do you think that plays a part i it certainly didn't hurt them what i remember about lincoln park so there's six guys in that band and they were, I remember, I, I would say it was like they were six arrows all shooting towards the same target. So they were all in sync. And that's the thing with bands. A lot of times there's so many egos and like a lot of like different opinions. And people think that they in the band, they think that they are the one that should be listening. So brands can self-destruct And that. If you're not working together, you already have so many forces working against you and pulling you apart. If you're not in sync, like you're saying, shooting in the same direction, then if the band's not working together, now all of a sudden, like you're, how can you make it? Because it's just, you have to have harmony. You have to at least be a unified force as the actual band. Absolutely. And if there's a, if there's a big Lincoln Park fans out there that might disagree with this, but this is what I remember. I believe the drummer had had maybe um, some challenges with alcohol in college. So when the band got together, they were all like, none of us are drinking. There's no alcohol. Wow. Yeah. And here's another thing people may not know. Lincoln Park before Chester, the, the wild singer with the great voice joined, they were already signed. I think their band was called I could have this wrong. They were called like Xerox or Zero or something. They lost that record deal, but their A&R guy kind of kept his ear on them. And then when Chester joined, he was like, oh, we're going to change the name to Lincoln Park. So even Lincoln Park, the biggest superstars you can imagine, had a deal that fell through. It's incredible. Mm. Okay. Okay. So now they ask you to open. That's crazy. So you're opening. Are you playing for like... How many people are you playing for? You- I'll never, I'll never forget it. Kansas oh my City, God. 30,000 people. And I think the band, it was like Slipknot, you know, the band that wears masks. And then, man, when they take the masks off, you, you realize where they wear the masks. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it was Slipknot, I believe. And then me with an acoustic guitar playing songs, not unlike what I have now. And then Linkin Park. And I got to tell you something. Tenny How Mar- did it go over? 
Well, if you ever get the chance to stand on stage under the white hot spotlight in front of 30,000 people and hearing every single one of them screaming, you suck, you suck. I mean, it gives you a chill, doesn't it? They were booing so loud. I songs, And I was like, okay, you know what? Lincoln Park asked me to come out here. I was in Kansas City. I'm not so I said to the crowd, listen to me, Kansas City. How many people here like Ozzy Osbourne? And there was a little bit of a light applause. And I said, well, here's some Joan Osbourne. What if God was one of us? Caroline, anything not tied down was thrown at me. Coins, shoes, bottles, cups. And we're not talking bras and panties here. No, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not at all. I mean, it was like, it was bing, 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 bing. So all of a sudden, the crowd starts cheering like a, a jet engine starting. I think, oh, I'm winning them over because I'm such a badass out here. Little did I know. Chester from Lincoln Park had come on stage to save me. And when I turned around to look at him, his face was like scrunched up, like he was smelling some bad cheese. I'm like, oh, what's the matter? Caroline, he wipes my forehead and I'm bleeding all over. I was so pumped up that I didn't realize a quarter a dime had hit me and I was bleeding, but I didn't feel it. So my knees well, kind of made you like super rough, you know, all of a sudden it's like, listen, I like bleed on stage. You may think that I can't hang, yes. but I can my knees got weak. Chester takes me off the stage. There were so many coins on the stage. The Ronies came out with those giant brooms like a janitor has. There was a million dollars on stage. Hey, JT made a fortune tonight. <laughs> the next day in the newspaper, there's a review of Lincoln Park and a giant picture of Chester with his arm around me. That picture is in my book. Let's uh, see it. Let's see it. Hang on a second. Sorry. Pause, pause, pause. A little bit of blood here, people. Don't get freaked out. Look at that. You can't really see it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So and in the review at the bottom, there's a little paragraph that said the opening act was a one man band called the JT Experience. Despite bleeding from the head, he finished a three song promising set. Someone in the audience had seen me, showed their dad the article. I was passing out my my long forgotten record deal demo CDs out by the tour bus that person's dad sent it to someone else and they called me in from LA and said, your songs are like three minute movies. We would like to sign you and send you to Nashville. Boom. So this goes back to the book. We're talking lost record. Oh my gosh. You know, fired. I mean, booed off stage from Lincoln Park. I didn't get fired. The crazy rock star I had to work for all around the world. And it all was just leading me down this path to write hit songs in Nashville. Oh, my God. But the exact it's like such an it should be a book. Oh, it is. is. Oh, party. And you know what? Perfect title. Party like a rock star because you are in it. You are in the actual just mud of what it takes to make it as a rock star as an entertainer and it's like yes there is all of this cool stuff that happens but it is such a freaking grind too and i guess like when you look back because i have like a very crazy story too not like yours at all but like very like you like piecing it all together you're like what how did that happen and it's like you look back and i almost feel like i birthed a child do you feel like you were like birthing a child like it is so intense and it is so much energy and it is so like the highs are so high, the lows are so low. Like it, it like it takes so much. You're having to put so much out into the world of yourself, and then like receiving back 
oftentimes so much pain and suffering from it, but then you get these glorious moments too. I mean, it's literally exhausting. Yes. Well, that is an incredible analogy, but I'm going to be careful because I had a buddy recently who said something like, bad like shoulder ache. And he said, this is hurts as much as having a baby. And his wife looked at him like, you know, he was the devil. She was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I listen, I'm lucky that I didn't lose an eye. That would be terrible if I was like, what happened when, what did Chester say to you when he saved you and pulled you off the stage? He started scolding the audience and he didn't need to do that. He was like, this guy has more guts than all of you. And for those of you that may or may not know, you know, you know, Chester has since passed away. So it's very, it's very sad. I just remember how hard they worked and how nice they were to me and what an inspiration they were. And you know, and I, I mean, I had to put the picture in the book. Okay, so now you're in Nashville. What kind of deal is this one? Is this a songwriting deal, publishing deal? Is this a record deal? No, it was a songwriting deal, and I just was writing. And uh, listen, one of the reasons, you know, I've been very lucky that country fans like my songs. I didn't come to town saying, oh, I'll just sing about a Walmart and a truck. I'm a country country singer. That, That doesn't work. Country fans, as you know, are very smart. And if you're not authentic, they're not going to be into your music. So I was just writing and writing and writing. And some of my songs trickled um, up to a guy named Uncle Cracker, who lives in Detroit, but he didn't know who I was. He didn't know that I was from Detroit. And he contacted me and we wrote the song called Smile. And that just kind of, you know, burst the doors wide open. And I got to tell you, we got to keep going here. That first writing deal actually came to an end before I wrote Smile. As soon as that deal ended, which once again did not feel great, I ended up writing Smile and Somewhere With You that Kenny Chesney put out literally months after my first writing deal ended. So you owned it all, which is like, you're probably- Square one, my apartment was being condemned. I was like, (sighs) man, just like like a, a washing machine I can't get out of. That's a terrible analogy. But isn't it crazy? Like you have all these huge breakthrough, massive moments, but then you just fall back to square one again and it's like you like you got those record advances you get this money you get this opportunity but then it's like all of a sudden you're back to being i don't know if you're broke again but you're back to being like just like you know it's like hanging on by a thread it's like it's crazy the highs are so high and then immediately the lows come right after it's literally it makes you crazy the music industry can make you lose your mind (laughs) it totally and i didn't i wasn't like this from the beginning but if anyone out there that's listening, it's in the music business. One thing that's very that's helped me. I've gotten a lot of advice. People would say, you know, just don't get bitter because it doesn't help anything. It's just like being, you know, so mad at like an ex boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't ever fall in love again. So I would see other people that I would like. Oh, didn't that guy have a record out? And like I would see someone years later that I had their their record and they were so angry and sitting at a corner bar and hating the music business. And I would think like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to end up like that. So, but you can see how it happens. Yeah, of course. Of course. So yeah, you just kind of just have to keep going and try to have, try to have fun. And, and, I'm, and I, you know, I guess I don't, I don't know what kept me going. I just kept going. You know? Because at this I point, you that song on the radio <laughs> and say, I'm better than that. Then I would hear an incredible song on the radio, like the house that built me. And I would say, Oh my gosh, this is inspiring me. I got to keep writing. Yeah. So you know, the only it, thing I didn't do was ju- join Runaway June. I would have looked like <laughs> I would have looked like ET with a wig on. That wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I know Runaway June. It's like you know, a few people had to run away before they finally got it right, and now I feel like they got the right combo. A new season of Bridgerton is here, and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host Gabrielle Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It would have been really easy to be defeated because here you go. Now you've moved to Nashville. You've had this publishing deal. You lose this publishing deal. So now you have no deal. But it actually works in your favor because you write your two biggest hits that you've ever had by like without a deal. So you don't have to give away half to 100% of the publishing part of it. So now you have full ownership of these songs. So actually... Yeah. It really worked out that you didn't have a deal because now you make so much more money because you own the full songs, but you wouldn't be thinking that in the moment because you've lost your deal. Absolutely. And my mom, who is just, you know, an angel superhero, would always say, well, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And I would just be like, don't say that. That's not helping. But the universe was definitely looking out for me because little did I know when I lost that deal, I would, you know, be writing two big hits. 
And I wrote somewhere with you with Shane McAnally. And for songwriting fans, it's very easy to throw Shane's name around because he's had so many hits. He was on Songland, the TV show. But when I met Shane, he was sleeping on his sister's couch. I mean, I think about that. That was so, so many spray tans ago for him. But anyway, um, he was sleeping on his sister's couch. He was about to move back to L.A. He had been in and out of Nashville for 14 years and could not get anything going. And for and everyone listening, he is truly one of the biggest songwriters in town. So everyone yeah. gets defeated multiple times before yeah, they totally. make it. It's, it's a funny memory. So I was looking for a place to live. He was sleeping on his sister's couch. Yeah, we wrote Somewhere With You, then Alone With You. So it, our first two number ones were together. It's just That's funny awesome. back. Like, what if I just did not listen? And I, I didn't want to write a song that day. I was like, oh, I just lost my deal. What's happening? This, this is all driving me crazy. But, you know, you just, you know, I and of course, I had just gone through a breakup, you know. I mean, you were feeling like a bag of poop. Yeah, exactly. A well-dressed one. <laughs> but yeah, you just keep writing and you just, it just, I don't know why it takes so much time. I think the world just knows what we all need. Yeah. And by the way, if you like these stories, um, if you didn't know, I also recently did the audio book to party like a rock star. So if you like to put your headphones on and enjoy a long romantic walk to the refrigerator, like I do party like a rock star is on uh, audio. Morgan Friedman was unavailable apparently. So I said, I'll do it. <laughs> but you have such an entertaining voice and you tell the story so well. I feel like hearing the audio would be a really fun experience because yeah, that's why I brought it up. A lot of people say, Oh, I love your audio book. And I always forget to mention it. Okay, now let's not forget this one huge thing. So you're adopted. You said that was the greatest stroke of luck, and it like made you realize that the universe like has your back because you have the greatest family ever, the Hardings. But your dad is your uh, your biological dad is a famous comedian, Jay Thomas. I mean, he I know him from the Santa Claus. Like he was in the Santa oh. Claus, but like he also was like on Cheers. He's a huge actor comedian. And you yes. were driving when you're the days that you were living in LA, you were driving under his billboard constantly. Did you think like, man, I look like that guy? And I kind of like, he kind of has my sense of humor. Yeah, no, no. Someone asked me once if my, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, no filter. Someone said to me once, is your biological father Gilbert Godfrey? And I was like, that's not a compliment. <laughs> so that's a great question. So uh, my biological, years, years later, my I always knew I was adopted, but I never knew who my biological parents were. I didn't even think about it other than maybe say to some girls, you know, Eddie Van Halen might be my real father. You never know. But so I was- You actually weren't too far off. I mean, it was in that same celebrity pool. Yeah, until they saw me play guitar. Then they were like, no, yeah. I wasn't a virtuoso. I was a virtuoso, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so my biological mother had been looking for me for years and she found me and we were talking on the phone for months and she said- I was living in LA, as you know, still working at the record store. What store. is that like when you meet your biological parent? Because you love your adopted parents. Like they are, you said, awesome. And the, you're so happy that this is how your life went. But like, what is it like when you meet your biological mom? So I met my biological mother. It was, it was just over the phone at first. And it was just, it was, I don't know how to put it in the words. It was, it was interesting because you're like, oh, wow, this is like I said, I, I truly mean it. I didn't I wasn't looking for a missing piece. I didn't have a feeling of like, abandonment, abandonment, nothing like that. And I really thought like, oh, are my parents going to feel weird about this? But I told them from the start. But she had been looking for me and we just started talking like friends. And it was it was a nice thing. Did she have other kids? Um, no, not that I know of. Not okay. that I know. So she, after a few months, she said, I want to tell you who your biological father is. And she said, he's not like other people. 
And that kind of makes your brain go, wow, what does that mean? And I'm just trying to be nice about it. I was like, wow, what does that mean? And uh, she said, um, he's an actor. And now everyone, you know, you, you told everyone who it is, but I didn't know at the time. And she said, he's an actor. And I could tell by the tone of her voice that she was not joking. I said, an actor? She said, yeah, he starred on the show Cheers. And my brain started scanning the cast of Cheers, like the Terminator, looking for a human. And my roommates were kind of standing there because they knew I was talking to my biological mother and how you know, unbelievable that was. And I said to my roommates, I'm rich. My biological father must be Ted Danson because I couldn't think of anyone else to look like me. And she said, no, his name is Jay Thomas. And coming back to your point, Caroline, one block from my apartment was a gigantic billboard on the whole side of a building. It was Jay Thomas's head on the body of a woman because he was a really big DJ in LA. It said, Power 106, we apologize for Jay Thomas because he was like Bobby Bones and Howard Stern at the time. He was causing all this trouble on the radio. And I mean, you, you could have knocked me over with a wet Q-tip. I was like, are you joking me? Because I had gone to a premiere of a movie and just standing in line trying to get in that Prince was going to be at. I wanted to give Prince my demo because he had a record label. Jay Thomas was there hosting it for Entertainment Tonight. My friends and I were heckling him. Once again, we had no idea this was my biological father. He had come into Tower Records. Our, our paths had crossed all the time. I mean, it's such a bad movie. He should have starred in it. You know, it's like a Hallmark Channel, you know, movie. He's so, like, yeah, the same oh my thing. gosh. It's what, unbelievable. Was and it then, like, did they date? Did your mom and him date? Was it like a one night stand? Like how, how what, what happened? Because Jay did go on to have a family with other kids. Yes, and a beautiful wife, Sally, two incredible sons that are now my best friends, Jake and That's Sam. awesome. Yes. You know, I don't know the whole entire story, but Jay, you know, Jay was um, a DJ at a late night radio station near a college and her and her friends were calling up and requesting songs. And he was kind of flirting with her and playing songs over the radio. And they met and had me. And I always say they... They loved me so much, they had to give me away. Jay knew that, I think they both knew that they couldn't uh, take care of me. And it was, just, it was just meant to be. And Jay and I were like two long lost fraternity brothers. I mean, we just- So how did that go? How did you meet oh, him? It was wild. What was so, the meeting like? He was starring on a show called Love and War at the time. So I went to see him film it. And he sent a buddy of his out, I didn't know it, to sit next to me because Jay thought I was a scammer trying to get his money. And, a, and there was a comedian in, in Los Angeles before a television show. Had you reached out to his camp saying, I'm Jay's son? Like, I want to meet oh, him? Uh, no, she called him and he called me. And he said, oh. oh, come see me perform or come see my TV show. So in Los Angeles, when you go to see a television show, if people don't know, a comedian will come out first to warm up the audience, to get them in a good mood. And then the show will start, whether it's Friends or Seinfeld or whatever. So this comedian was really bad and I started heckling him and the audience was really laughing. So Jay's buddy, who I didn't know was literally right next to me, went right backstage and Jay was like, what are you doing? You got to get out there. There's a guy out there saying he's my son. And his buddy just said, no, that's definitely your son. I guarantee you. <laughs> so he came out, we met, we went out to dinner and- What was, is that like? That's like probably the most nerve wracking first date ever. <laughs> well, it was kind of fun because he was- he was famous. And I was like, wow, this is really wild. And I just said, I don't need anything. I don't need any money. And he said, good. I don't have any. I've been married four times. Some of the marriages didn't last as long as this dinner. It was just, I, I'm listen, my dad, Larry Harding is such the superhero of my life that meeting Jay was fun and we were friends, but it really wasn't any more than that. And we but did it show you where you got your humor from and like your quick wit? Like, did you, did it make things make sense? Like where you got your like incredible, outrageous, amazing personality? 
<laughs> I, I guess so. My mom said it made sense, but uh, you know, Jay hated music. He, you know, a real loud mouth. He, unfortunately, as, as you may not know, he passed away. I didn't put that in my book. We couldn't have, you know, so many deaths in the book. It's more of a comedy. Uh, so it just, it was just really fun, but I'd never looked at him as a parent. And he did relate to me because it, it was so hard to get into acting into the DJ business, but it, we were just like two long lost fraternity brothers. But once again, I'm glad he didn't raise me. I, uh, you I'd know, be, what? I'd be even more self-centered. You know? <laughs> I mean, for those of you that don't know, he got fired from cheers for making fun of Carla on the radio. Carla played his uh, girlfriend on the show and she was married and she is married to Danny DeVito. So yeah, he, you know, I, I tried not to follow too many of his examples. <laughs> but what a wild story and how cool though, to be able to have that relationship. Oh, it was fantastic. And we were wild. We went on Dr. Phil. We went on all these TV shows. He was on David Letterman every Christmas. He would throw a football at the meatball. And one year, it's in the book, I went to David Letterman and kind of caused a little trouble in the audience, which I wouldn't do again. But it's a great story in the book. Yeah. <laughs> a new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so, I mean, gosh, JT, your life, like this book... I pray becomes a movie because it is so, or a Netflix series or something, because it is so amazing. Hey, I like, like how you're thinking. Like the visuals of it, like the stories of it. It's just so like, and 
And like you said, this is a comedy and you keep it lighthearted, but you've dealt with some real stuff from adoption, which was a great experience for you, to suicide. Because then one of your brothers committed suicide. And that was something you never really talked about before, but you talked about it in this book. And because of sharing it, you've realized how actually sharing has been healing. And I would just love for you to talk about that a little bit because that's a huge topic. And one of 12 people die by suicide. You also mentioned that. And it's like a big topic. Wow. Yes. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. When I was in uh, sixth or seventh grade, I had an older brother and yeah, he took his own life and there, there's no way really to explain it. I just really remember being very, very sad. And you're exactly right. It's something I've never really talked about. I don't think I ever learned how to talk about it. And certainly I've gone to therapists and this and that. I don't know if I was embarrassed by it, but it's incredible. I wrote 10 drafts of the book for the publisher and I kept, you know, making it better, more details. And the last draft I turned in because I, I didn't mention my brother Lee in it. And I put that in there and they were like, what is this? But the point is the thing that I thought maybe for lack of a better word, is this embarrassing or people are going to judge me for it is actually the thing that so many people have related to and so many people send me messages, total strangers. So it's really, I'm, yeah, it's incredible the things that you think, wow, I don't know if I should talk about this or the things that maybe you should talk about the most myself. See, listen, listen I'm never at a loss for words, but I kind of am. Well, this is a really it. tough topic. It's a yeah. really tough topic on a lot of different levels. You know, A, it's your brother, B, it's suicide, and C, it's like the pain and the shame of like having to admit that. Like that's a heavy, that's a heavy, that's a heavy load to bear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I talked about it in the book and he was great at sports and, you know, he seemed like a big man at the time. Cause when you're a kid, someone that's a few years older than you seems, you know, like, like they're grown up and there's a, I did not write the song. There's a Kenny Chesney song. I hear a lot on the radio still called who he'd be today. And every time I hear it, I'm like, it reminds me, I'm like, Oh, I wonder what he would be doing right now. Yeah. So yeah, it's in the book and I don't really, you know, know what else to say about it other than it's just something that happened to me and a lot of people go through. So you have, you are on a tour, you ha you started a tour and you, you timed it perfectly for adoption month and suicide month. Tell me why, like you wanted to, cause like, is it a, it's a, are you on a, it's a book tour, a music tour? What kind of touring are you doing? It was like in the month of August, and the month of November. Oh, oh, great. So I think we're talk talking about the contest. Yes. Yes. A contest. Oh, yes. So I do songwriter shows everywhere and it's just great. We always have books there. So I sign the books. It's not necessarily a tour, but I'm going to Green Bay. I just play <laughs> the science. I play the Bluebird. But November is Adoption Awareness Month all over America. So to, just to give back something fun, check this out. It's totally free. I'm going to choose someone to write a song with over Zoom. And all, the only thing you have to do to enter is go to writelikearockstar.com and send me your adoption story and include a small clip of you singing or playing any song you like from the radio. And this is not a talent competition, but we just want people to be into music. It's writelikearockstar.com. I've already gotten probably 100 entries and it's great to read and hear everybody's stories but it's still open and once again real simple write like a rockstar.com and you can find it and it's going to be fantastic jt you have such a heart for people like you can just feel that you have such a heart for people and for sharing and for sharing your personality and making people happy like have you always been that kind of guy like you just love to bring people together you make people feel good being around you like i'm leaving this interview and i'm like god i feel so great just being around you 
Oh, thank you. Well, it's something I've worked on. You know, I definitely have my moments. My <laughs> if my other brother Lance was here, he'd be like, "I'll tell you the real story." Yeah. <laughs> he goes by his Native American name in my book, "Dances with Vodka." Yeah, thank you. Oh but um, yeah, you know, I'm just I feel real lucky to have you know been able to follow my dream and make it come true. I mean, good thing I'm still not a struggling songwriter. This would be a very, <laughs> they'd be the grumpy podcast, but thank you. I'm just, yeah, I'm in a great mood and I get to do what I love for a living. And I do love sharing the stories with people because hopefully it'll inspire someone else to write a great song that makes me go, Oh my goodness, listen to that. So I'll wrap up with a couple questions. I have like two more yeah. questions. What is the point of it all of this life? Like you have lived a million lives. You have really been in the depth of it all. You have like gone into it. You've walked into the fire of life, you know, on so many different fronts and you have seen behind the veils. Like, you know, what is happening? You know, like you've been behind the fourth wall. What do you feel like is the point of this life? For me personally? Mm -hmm. uh, well, what a great question. Just off the top of my head, this might not be the perfect answer, but Listen, I just knew that I could not work a nine to five job. I wouldn't have been happy. I knew I didn't want to be playing cover songs in, you know, bars to bachelorettes, hoping, holding up their penis squirt guns. You know what I mean? I, with all due respect to all those people that are singing Jesse's Girl, I wanted to write songs that were on the radio. And I just, I just don't, I just hope people follow their dreams because you will experience great things when you least expect it. And I just think that. I would be really unhappy if I was just working a job somewhere. So to me, the point of my life is to just try to be, to, to find a job that would make me happy because you have to work, you have to make a living. And so that, that's the point of it for me. And it's certainly not easy. I, I have to get up every day and say, get in there and write a song. Some days, the last thing in the world I want to do is write a song, but I remind myself that I'm lucky uh, that I have this job. And so I hope that answers your question. Is it worth all the heartbreak? Because chasing a dream, like I feel like what you're trying to say is like live a life that you dream of, like really pursue that dream. You've done it. But like with pursuing a dream, which means you get to live a dream life because you're pursuing your dream and it's happy. It's coming true. <clears throat> but the heartbreak is so heavy too. Do you feel like it's been worth the heartbreak? Absolutely. Because, because of writing songs, I meet great people. I get to travel the world. Someone else pays for it. You know, the Bluebird Cafe have sent me to London, New York, Sundance, Utah. And then I'm not only there in these great cities, I'm on stage singing songs that I've written and everyone's singing them back to me. And I'm certainly not a rock star, but I, did, I get to live the rock star life every now and then. And I have great friends that I've met through writing songs in Nashville. So I have a very full life. So yeah, I would say whatever your dream is, not whether it's to be a lawyer or the best plumber or to have a family, I would say go for it. And I always wrap up with leave your light. What do you want people to know? It's super open-ended. What do I want to people? What to do you want people to know? If something bad happens to you career-wise or relationship-wise, if you just kind of give it time as much as that doesn't feel good in the moment, just give it time, let it work itself out, and you'll, you'll be shocked at how something else out there is waiting for you that you couldn't even imagine, and it's probably even going to be better than you imagine it. At least that's happened in my life. I love that. JT Harding, everyone, y'all go get his book, Party Like a Rockstar, get it on audio. I mean, what a storyteller, what a life. I am so just fascinated by you. And tell everyone where we can find you. What are all your outlets? 
Thank you, Caroline Hobby. Oh, on the uh, on the uh, my book and the face space and all that stuff. It's real easy. At the at symbol at JTX Rockstar. So thank you so much for having me. And Party Like a Rockstar is available everywhere. Woo! Okay, JT, you're the best. Caroline thank you so Hobby. much. <laughs> That's amazing sound effects and everything. Yes. Thank you so much. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.